You've sensed something, haven't you, Orb? Something indescribably evil. And you're trying to communicate that information to me non-verbally. But something's interfering, preventing you from telling me where the danger's located. Maybe if I concentrate, I can give you a little help. My name is Conrad, along with my co-host Drew, and welcome to the 44th episode of Stranger by the Dozen, the weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, six months, six issues at a time. How's it going this week, Drew? It is going pretty good. Still thinking about tweaking that voice. Ah, you're, Drew's a terrifying madman, everybody. Don't leave him <laughs> alone with your voice acting work. <laughs> <laughs> You can find our show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and on any fine podcast app. You can contact the podcast at StrangerByTheDozen at gmail.com, on Twitter at StrangerByThe12, StrangerByThe12, or on Facebook or Instagram by searching for StrangerByTheDozen, and and also on our podcast network site at uh, Cradaline.com. So, okay. Drew. Yes. You'll remember last week we had an extensive adventure going down to the bayou involving Doctor Strange's vampire brother Victor, who became Baron right. Blood, and all that stuff, right? Which is really a terrible name for a vampire. I think it's like a very apropos name for a vampire, you know? I mean, it's, it's a very stereotypical name for a vampire. Okay, yeah. I mean, that that's what makes it, like, you know, appropriate, you know? I mean, if he was like Baron uh, Sweat or something, I don't know what that would, what, what, why he'd be called that. <laughs> But it wouldn't be appropriate uh, for someone who needs blood, you know what I mean? <laughs> all right. Well, well anyhow, we'll anyhow, that all that stuff doesn't matter because we aren't talking about that this week. Put a pin in all of your Doctor Strange vampire stuff. All right, done and done. Right. Instead, we're going to start with Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme number 19 from July 1990. It's called The Azriel Touch. Roy and Dan Thomas, writers, Gene Colan, guest artist, Heisler, Novak, letters, George Russo's colorist, Ralph Macchio, editor, Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. So, hey, big thing here is that uh, Gene Colan's sitting in for an issue of Doctor Strange. You know, Gene Colan's a pretty, like, I'd say sort of after Steve Ditko and stuff is probably one of your second most important um, Doctor Strange artists. He sort mm-hmm. of took us through the late 60s and into the 70s, you know, sort of. Oh, right. I would say his Doctor Strange style leans a little bit more towards a Charles Bronson-y looking Doctor Strange, I guess. Um, yep. And he's always has a has a, has more of a pen, a pencil thin mustache as opposed to a more thicker mustache as we've seen in more modern uh, Doctor Strange um, drawings. You know. You know, I gotta say, personal opinion, I think I prefer the pencil thin mustache. Um, I could go either way. I kind of, I think the handlebar mustache can be kind of ridiculous and, and like silly. Um, I definitely prefer a mustache Doctor Strange to a goatee Doctor Strange, at least in comic book form, just because I think mustache is more classic. Bearded Strange is superior Strange. Okay, bearded Strange is good too. That's fine. But like a full beard, you know? Um, yeah. You know, goateed Strange, he gets a little too close to just be, being being Tony Stark, basically, you know? No, no, I, I get that. But, like, more recent Doctor Strange? Sure. Doctor Strange? Yeah. Good stuff. Definitely, yeah. But, yeah, so, yeah, go, goatee is close to Tony Stark. Mustache, he starts getting close to Dracula, especially when Gene Colan draws him. But let's not get into it. We've gotten into it previously. <laughs> All right. So, 
This story starts with Doctor Strange. He's taking some time off deal from dealing with his vampire brother, Victor, just to kind of check out some sweet skull action on the Orb of Agamotto. You know, looking at skulls, thinking about Emily Dickinson, all that stuff, only to be right. interrupted by his phone ringing and his tape recorder answering machine picking up, which might be unusual if you're a younger listener to this podcast. By younger, I mean like 25 or something like that. Where So... Back in the olden times, we recorded messages on what we call answering machines that recorded things on tape. Now, let me explain what a cassette tape is. Exactly. It's a whole host of things. But basically, if someone left a message, it would play on a speaker while being recorded that was next to your phone. So if someone left a message and you were home, you could hear what the message was before um, checking your voicemail or answering the phone yourself. Anyhow, in this case, Dr. Strange phone screens and hears a, uh, a lady calling from a phone booth in Las Vegas. She's ca- talking to Dr. Strange because she's worried that she may cause the death of the entire world. That seems legit. I mean, that's a big thing to get on your telephone call for sure. Um, so... She hangs up before Strange can pick up the phone, and we smash cut to Las Vegas, where a blonde lady walks off into the night from the payphone. She bumps into a random dude who gets angry at her, and despite her protests, he hands her a $100 bill, but, like, in an insulting way, I guess. Um, but the, she, he, he sort of touches her hand, and because they've made physical contact, this guy bursts into flames and quickly skeletonizes. That's um which is bad. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to skeletonize people on your touch. Even rogue like doesn't kill you right away, Drew. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, she just sucks all the energy out of you. But like it takes some time, you know. It's not just a gentle brush. You got like she's got like make out with you or whatever. But um yeah, it's just like a like a firm death grip on you. Yeah. So the cops come after her and she runs away and kind of turns into a big demon face. But this is just an illusion as she's teleported to a rooftop by our boy, Doctor Strange. Um, Under some interrogation, she reveals that she got his phone number from that Now magazine article and that she needs the doctor's help to kill herself because her touch can murder. Uh, And it's all because of this gemstone she has that's embedded in her collarbone. Oh, geez. I almost made a very inappropriate joke there. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, Strange covers covers the covers this lady, uh, Rena Butler, in a mystical shield and carries her back to where it all began. So this starts a flashback, and I'm not going to lie to you, Drew. There's a lot of flashbacks this episode, <laughs> but in oh, this man. case, we see Rena leading a team of like geology dudes or like rock bros um, in in drilling a hole into the hollow Mount Fairchild in the outskirts of Las Vegas. To create a hole to store nuclear waste, this uh, pro- this project is called Project Azrael. And as they deal with the constant shouts of protesters, the drillers dig until they find a hunk of crystal, which Rena takes to commemorate the successful start of the project. As she goes back to her quarters, where she gets it on with Jim, one of the workmen on the project. <laughs> But oh, okay, yeah, you know it's whatever. It's a it's the love affair between geologist and dude that breaks rocks for a living. <laughs> 
Sure. As, no, yeah. that, seems fine. that seems legit. Fine, yeah. As the weeks wear on, uh, Rena wears the crystal as a necklace, and she becomes more and more of a jerk, yelling at people, firing them for minor mistakes, etc. Until one night, while making out with Jim, Jim bursts into a flame and dies as a big flaming skeleton. So, horrified by what she does... By, by, by what she's done, Rita drives into the night and basically, you know, lands up in Las Vegas and sort of rejoins the the story as we're telling it. <laughs> so, during the telling of the story, Strange has identified the crystal as part of a powerful and deadly magical ent- entity trapped inside the Hollow Mountain, now coming awake and ready to destroy the Earth and everything on it. Okay. Yeah, as Strange and Rena approach the the uh, dig site, the drill goes through into the mountain and starts emitting a deadly crystalline mist that instantly kills all the drillers, and only a speedily cast sleep spell saves the protesters from being killed as well, because it seems to only go after movement like a T-Rex or something. Um, so is it's T-Rex in gaseous form, then? Yeah, gas T-Rex, gas Rex, I don't know. Um, That's rough. Yeah. Strange and Rena enter the mountain where they find a huge crystalline entity from before the dawn of time. Doctor Strange has has trouble taking it uh has trouble taking down the being who he's calling Azrael just because of the name of the project and stuff without also destroying Rena. In the end Rena sacrifices herself to enable Strange to seal the entity back in the mountain for all eternity. In the aftermath, Strange is led to Rena's trailer, where we find out where we find Rena and Jim's final legacy, their daughter, Carrie Marie Butler. That's it. The uh, the Rena dies, but the entity is sealed in the mountain forever and will never bother us again, which I believe just holds true. And then uh, this little girl, Carrie Marie Butler, just kind of disappears from the Marvel timeline. I, I couldn't find any further instances of her in uh, Marvel Comics. Dang. But, you know, kind of a interesting kind of side story of just kind of like, you know, hey, like, you got to be careful when you're doing stuff for the natural world in the Marvel Universe because there are crazy monsters out there. And you never know when you're going to drill a hole in something and suddenly, like, Fing Fing Foom pops out or, some, or, or whatever. You know, it's, a, it, it's always there. <laughs> you got to remember it. Yeah, goodness knows you could be taking the trash out, and all of a sudden, oh, it's the Mandarin. Oh, no. Oh, that's always, man, let me tell you. Um, (laughs) And yeah, let's go to uh, Marvel Fanfare 52 from August 1990. Oh, yes. So, you know, you you, you remember how Marvel Fanfare is this sort of prestige comic book that Marvel does, right? Um, Right. It's got glossier pages. It's very cool, and it generally has sort of one-off stories. It's where we saw... Doctor, it's where we saw the Hulk and the Thing fight for uh, control of a uh, Zandu's Ruby thing. It's where we had Cowboy Strange and a Doctor Strange where he was like in this dream dimension and whatever. Um, this Marvel fanfare has two different stories in it. Uh, one is a, the, the the main story is a tale of the Black Knight Dane Whitman, um, which is basically telling telling us a story of his adventures. In the during the Crusades, when he was turned into a stone statue by the Enchantress at the end of the uh, at the end of the Avengers Defenders War back in the seventies, right? So, I'll just go through this story quick. Um, after a battle, the Black Knight d- uh, bumps into 
Al-Adin, Saladin's brother, who the Black Knight chases until both of them are captured by cultists of the evil god Morak. The two warriors fight their way out and uh, part as part as not, if, if not friends, at least like sort of rivals that respect each other. It's a pretty fun story with like big monsters being killed and dudes sorting other dudes in, ex- in exotic locales. The, uh, the, the Doctor Strange story in this, in this issue is Mirror, Mirror, with Dean Allen Shrek first doing, doing the story, G- uh, another Gene Colan joint, Gene Colan and Al, Al Williamson doing art, Tom Orzakowski lettering, T. Fine doing coloring, and then Milgram, Kavanaugh, and DeFalco editing. So, this story's kind of weird because it doesn't, I don't understand, like, the time period where it takes place, because it sort of features Doctor Strange working in the Doctor Strange, like, or the, uh, working as his secret identity of Stephen Sanders in the Doctor Strange Metaphysical Institute, which okay. I don't, we've seen sort of pieces of, but I don't think we've really sort of seen the full extent of what this facility is supposed to be in the main comics, I guess. So it's weird to see him, to see, like, him working here and there presumably being some sort of life around him being at this institute or something. But it doesn't matter that much. Because it's basically just a situation for Doctor Strange to be in and then be assaulted by a blast of indecipherable etheric debris or mind junk. Question. Uh, yeah. Before we go on. Please. So, this is the the Stephen Strange Memorial Metaphysical Institute, yes? Yes. But isn't Doctor Strange alive again? Or saying that he's alive again? Absolutely. I don't think the name's been fully changed. <laughs> um, uh, just you know, wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, they've sort of dis- discussed it. You know, remember that, like Doctor Strange. At this point, I feel like he's only been sort of back in the public eye since like Sorcerer Supreme fifteen or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm not. Again, I'm not sure how the actual reality of this situation works in sort in relation to the actual comics. Or if this is even, like, really a canonical thing that happens, you know? Like, okay. At this I, I just point, thought I'd throw that question out there. Definitely, definitely. At this point, in terms of my reading of Doctor Strange, and if I really want to come down on what is and isn't, like, super canonical, I'd say this is sort of way less canonical than other sort of non-Doctor Strange things that... Or other sort of non-mainline comic stuff that we've seen, I guess. But so, Strange heads back to the Sanctum... He examines the mind junk more closely and finds that it is a psychic message from a former ally, a guy named Alistair Kane. Kane was always big on trying to balance magic with science, and this led to him taking huge risks to his personal safety, and they parted years ago. So, Strange flies to Kane's house and finds the building full of mirrors, which seem to be based on one of Kane's theories that enough mirrors set up in just the right way could open a gateway to another dimension. Uh, Strange finds this is the case and enters into this higher plane, but finds it's full of uh, one of confusing chaos with spinning wheels of light and other weird stuff going on. He sees sort of Kane himself caught in this endless whirlwind of time and space. Kane begs Strange to put him out of his misery, and eventually Doctor Strange complies and then returns to our world and destroys all the mirrors. It's a sad fate, but even the ancient masters knew that messing with mirrors can lead to trouble. 
And that's sort of that story. It's, yeah. yeah, it's rough. It's just a just a real quick pop in for some more fun uh, or for some more like classic Gene Colon art, and just mm-hmm. a quick a quick mer- uh, mercy killing. Wham bam, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah, this comic also ends with a portfolio by the artist Paul Ryan, which seems pretty fun. It features a picture of Doctor Strange and Clea having a picnic in the dark dimension, which I think is is pretty charming. I must say. It's nice. It's good. I like it. Yeah. So let's continue to uh, black to our the first of our Black Knight coverage. We're going to do a lot of Black Knight coverage this, or I guess continuing because we had some last time, but a lot of Black Knight stuff this episode, Drew. Yeah. We're, we're starting with Black Knight number one. This is technically Black Knight volume two, number one from June nineteen ninety. Story is called "The Rebirth of the Black Knight." Roy and Dan Thomas writers. Tony DeZuniga, artist, Bill Oakley, letterer, Al Ramirez, colorist, Mark Grunewald, editor, Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. So, okay. We've seen the Black Knight a couple times here on the podcast. Probably most notably was back in the 70s when he was turned to stone. But, you know, don't stress about that too much. He's been black. He's been flesh and blood since the early 80s. Um, He came back... In Doctor Strange, briefly for Doctor to sort of to freak out, and Doctor Strange to like decurse his sword and debatwing his horse, um, mm-hmm. a, pretty recently. But since uh, about like 1988 or so, he's been suffering from the effects of a curse on his black on on his black black sword. Oh. Um, that has basically caused him to slowly turn into a statue made of the same material as his sword. It's like a, like a steel sword statue, essentially. Um, for a while, he had kind of an exoskeleton that allowed his body to continue to move despite this transformation, but eventually it was just too much and he completely turned into a, into a metal statue. So That seems like a rough way to go, just throwing that out there. It's definitely bad. We see... So we sort of start uh, Black Knight number one with Hawkeye and Captain America dropping off the statue of the Black Knight... At uh, Dane Whitman, at Black at the Black Knight Dane Whitman's uh, ancestral castle somewhere outside of Washington D.C. Um, oh, Hawkeye, your costume is unfortunate, as ha- always. Hawkeye is always the worst, um, but and so <laughs> and so because of that, it's okay when he does like a like a cheek slap, a, a companionable cheek slap to the statue and cuts himself on the razor-sharp chin of Dane Whitman. <laughs> like, because he's made of this, like, sword metal, I guess all the creases and lines of his body are actually razor-sharp, so you got to be careful about it. That is awesome. Yeah, it's a huge cut in his hand. Anyhow. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> they're met by the stewards of the castle and now Whitman's statue, our old pal Victoria Bentley. All right. Hey, you'll remember Victoria Bentley most recently from when Doctor Strange uh, stole all of her magic powers and then gave them back in the course of the uh, of the Eye Patch saga of Doctor Strange. <laughs> it's still a pretty big jerk move. It's true. I mean, he gave her power back and whatever, but she's also just been sort of a pretty frequent, you know, a, a now and then guest star of Doctor Strange through the ages. Right. First appearance, like the first episode of this very podcast, she's been with him from the start. So. She's there with her butler, Catherwood, and once they get rid of the do-gooders, Captain America and Hawkeye, 
she uh, the the two of them break out a magic crystal and start doing spells to return Dane to his body, which is cool. They do some spells, you know, in the name of the all-seeing conferred, in the name of the Vinchanti incurred. Show us crystal in your brilliant glow, all that the brazier's fragments know. So whatever, that causes us to smash cut to the court of King Arthur, where Sir Percy of Scandia is a medieval superhero, uh, playing both his, sof- his foppish self as of, of Sir Percy and the mighty masked Black Knight. And Sir Percy's an extremely He-Man, or uh, this Black Knight's extremely He-Man, if just because, like uh, Adam of Eternia, Sir Percy wears a lot of pink, just to sort of show that you shouldn't take him seriously. Mm. So, we sort of continue this flashback, we see the, the Black Knight go through his career, marry, reveal his identity, and take part in the big final fight between King Arthur and his evil son, Mordred. Right. Um, as Camelot falls, Percy's soul is consigned by Merlin to continue through the centuries to continue to fight against the spirit of Mordred. This leads him through a couple, a, no, sorry, not a couple, a bunch of different incarnations as various Englishmen coming to England's aid when it most needs it, and eventually to Sir Percy's distant descendant, Dane Whitman, who is our current Black Knight. Um, who once again took, who um, found sort of this mysterious black blade in his ancestral castle and is now sort of fighting Mordor in a couple different places. We, uh, so after this, so we get then a, sort of a full recap of Whitman's career, including how he'd lately traded his bat wing to seat steed for a sweet hover bike and stuff like that. And just that, sort of, that thing is pretty sweet looking. Yeah. And just general sort of Avengers stuff. And then the whole turning, you know, curse and turning into a, a metal dude kind of uh, situation. Right. As we return from the flashback, we see. Uh, The smoke from the crystal has uh, flown through Dane's mansion and revealed a hidden door behind which is the armor of the original Black Knight, Sir Percy. As a creepy skull appears in the sky and floats around, Victoria and Catherwood race to put the armor on the statue of Dane Whitman to try to bring him back to life. Or so they think. Instead, the statue flashes brightly and comes to life with the spirit of Sir Percy. Huh. The medieval guy. He explains... Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, he tries... He starts to explain why he's shown up, but before he can, the door of the castle blows in to reveal a crazy skeleton armor monster with, like, a bunch of arms and wings and a suit of, like, seven different suits of plate armor, basically. This guy's um, totally like overdesigned. Just throwing that out there. Definitely, yeah. He's like, uh, he's just when they have a whole bunch of different parts lying around, you just throw those parts together. <laughs> so, this varlet grabs Victoria Bentley and flies off. Percy snags the the uh, warhorse Valnor, who has regrown his bat wings because Sir Percy's back, and the two of them have a sweet aerial fight. Percy saves Victoria, but then. The ghosts, uh, the ghostly forms of Morgan Le Fay and Mordred appear. They're here to take down the future. But 
as they so whatever the threats revealed as Victoria and Percy return to the castle they see that debris have hit Catherwood possibly killing him or at least taking him out it's not super clear from what's going on in the comic but it is definitely time to fight bad guys with the help of even more amazing guest stars Black Knight comic engage <laughs> so let's go to uh, Black Knight number two from July 1990, um, in the dread of night, uh, Roy and Dan Thomas writers, Tony DeZuniga artist, Bill Oakley letterer, Alfred Ramirez colorist, Greg Wright assistant editor, Mark Grunewald editor, Tom DeFalco editor in chief. So, deep in the Swiss Alps, Morgan Le Fay and Mordred visit an abandoned castle. It's got a hell horse in the stable and a dude with a skull and crossbows cape sleeping on a plinth. They... Seems like a pretty rad castle. Right. Yeah. Also, as well as a sweet skull, skull and crossbone cape, he's got a crazy metal monster mask. You know, it's time to awaken Bram Velzing. Awaken the Dark Knight. Who is a uh, you know classic legacy uh, Black Knight villain whatever? So meanwhile, in the Irish Sea, Victoria and Percy fly into the lighthouse of Captain Britain and Excalibur. Awesome. Yeah, always nice to see Excalibur. So after after an incredibly brief, like a two-panel standard superhero mix-up, um, <laughs> um, and then some additional confusion about Sir Percy being the Black Knight instead of Dane. And uh, Percy calls Captain Britain a churl. They quickly explain the problems, and they're off on an air on a private airplane to Northern Ireland to investigate the castle of Morgan Le Fay. Along the way, Percy gives backstory for Morgan, just sort of her general character, you know, villainous background, which includes which includes like some of the parts of like her, of the fight between Morgan Le Fay and Spider Woman that we uh, covered a few episodes ago, and stuff like that. So right. they arrive at the Giant's Causeway, which is a, a big famous landmark in Northern Ireland, to uh, investigate. Find, and, and they reveal that uh, as opposed to a naturally occurring phenomenon, as most people assume, it is in fact the shattered remains of, of Morgan Le Fay's uh, castle. Uh, okay. Yeah, you're thinking about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... They they land on like a, a random open stretch of ground, only to be stopped by British troops, forcing the superheroes to sort of establish their bona fides until they're allowed to go to the causeway, where they immediately run into a local guy named uh, Sean Dolan, who runs away when he sees Captain Britain costume because he's no friend of the Union Jack. But, you know, he's an Irish guy, whatever. Um, right, 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 right. He ends as he runs, he ends up falling off the side. Of the, um, he falls off the side of the causeway and is only saved thanks to quick thinking by uh, Sir Percy. Because of this, uh, he agrees to help Victoria and Sir Percy find, like, sort of some glowing lights that he's recently seen along the Giant's Causeway. But Captain Britain's got to get out of here because he doesn't trust him. So, Britain, <laughs> uh, Captain Britain uh, scrams and they go investigating. From the kid's description, it sounds pretty clearly that Morgan and Mordred have re-entered our world from the causeway, and Percy prepares to fight. But before he do- he can, Victoria stops him. She removes Percy's helmet, and 
um, that we we learn that this helmet seems to actually contain Percy's personality because the, his, his body returns to his normal Dane Whitman personality when the helmet is removed. All right. Oh, hey. Yeah. So Dane and Victoria confess their long-held, unmentioned, and unrequited love for each other. Uh, but before they can kiss, they are attacked by this Dread Knight guy that we saw at the beginning of this comic. He's got a hell horse, which is like kind of a, a demon pegasus with like uh, creepy grabber hands. And a laser lance that is, you know, it's a lance that shoots lasers. I don't know what you want from me, basically. Uh, Isn't that just like a laser gun? Just gonna... <sighs> No, man, it's different because it looks like a lance. Um... <laughs> um, so... Dan goes to fight him, but the battle quick. But he's but he's quickly turning back into a statue, so the battle goes bad. Even the timely intervention of Ca- of Captain Britain can't win this fight, though it does end up blocking like a potentially deadly blow from the laser from from the laser lance to uh, Dane and Victoria. In the end, Dane is forced to put the helmet back on with help from this kid Sean, and um, you know it's time to take down the evil dudes, I guess. But yeah. Okay. The Dread Knight's defeated, but uh, Morgan and Mordred are nowhere to be found. Where are they? Who can we talk to to help figure out where these mystical beings are? I know, a certain doctor who might have some ideas, Drew. Uh, Dr. Pepper? Dr. Druid? No, dude. <laughs> I think you know that it is... Oh, Brother Voodoo. Got Dr. it. Dr. Doom. No. Okay, let's see. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Black Knight number three from August 1990. The Black Knight has a thousand eyes. He, uh, he does. It looks like he has like two eyes, man. I feel like it's trying to be a pun on the knight has a thousand eyes, and then sort of an uh, eye, an eye-based thing that we'll also see later in this in the, in, in in this issue. But uh, Roy right. and Dan Tom- if, if that helmet suddenly sprouts like a thousand eyes, I'm going to be a little weirded out. Oh, that's going to be cool, dude. I think I had a, <laughs> I, I, I think it was a and d item like that at one point. But, uh, <laughs> so Roy and Dan Thomas writers, Rich Buckland layout artist, the slashing dudes finishing art, Bill Oakley letterer, George Russo's colorist, Gregory Wright managing editor, Mark Runewald editor, Dom DeFalco editor-in-chief. So... Uh, Percy, Victoria, and Sean Dolan, who's some random kid from Ireland, all arrive back on the back of Valnor, the Batwing Pegasus, over the New York City skyline and make a beeline for the Sanctum Sanctorum. After running afoul of the Sanctum security measures, Doctor Strange finally shows up and collects the travelers and gets filled in on the situation. He immediately has a plan... They have to head into the evil dimension where Morgan, where Morgan and Mordred live to see what kind of magical arsenal they have. Victoria will stay behind to monitor their progress, um, and then Sean volunteers to come along to fight as well over the protests of Percy. So, whatever. We're going on a trip. <laughs> At the extra-dimensional castle of Morgan Le Fay, our boys are... Immediately confronted by the evil team of Eminem, uh, Morgan and Mordred, with Morgan bearing the evil. Oh, yeah, oh, the e- oh, oh, you know. It. Yeah, oh. she, she's got the evil eye of Prester John, which is the magical item that was quested for way back during the Avengers Defender, Defenders War, 
when, you know, Black Knight was also a statue. Guy spends a m- way more time as a statue than most other superheroes, I must say. Anyhow, the, uh, the Evil Eye doesn't have a lot of magical power left, but it does have just enough to summon a big crazy monster, the Celtic god Balor. Balor. Okay. Yeah, it's good, you know, you want to get those guys yeah. out. Yeah. Ba- Balor quickly takes down Black Knight and the Doc, and Eminem quickly gloats and then move on to the next stage of their plan, you know, leaving Balor to kill the knocked out heroes as you do. Right. <laughs> So, There's nothing that can go wrong with that plan. No, it's funny because um, Morgan even says, like, hey, don't gloat over these guys. Just kill them and let's get going. But she still, like, just leaves them unconscious in the hands of an underling, you know, as opposed to just offering them, them, offering them herself right there, <laughs> which is like, come on, guys, complete the thought here. So this, this is, like, totally a page out of, like, the, the evil overlord handbook. Oh, definitely. Ugh. So, seeing the uh, the team in danger, Victoria quickly develops a plan, and as Sean tries to stop Balor, we see a new challenger enter the battlefield, the Galdern Valkyrie, alright! Hey! It's been yeah. a while. Yeah, it turns out that uh, Val is inhabiting Victoria's body, and it's time to fight, so it seems like now the Valkyrie's more like just a spirit that you can call down if you're a lady and you're in enough danger, essentially. I mean, there were things that you could do, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it, means that seems, pretty, it, it seems pretty cool. It seems like a good sort of uh, ace to have in your back pocket if you're a Mar- if you're a lady in the Marvel universe is just being able to instantly become a Brunhild the Valkyrie and just cut cut foes to ribbons, basically. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> So, the the Valkyrie shows up, Percy is freed, and he smashes the evil eye uh, item, which Morgan and Mordred ditched as part of their gloating, which they said they weren't going to do, but they were still like, oh, this evil eye is the thing that's keeping uh, uh, Balor um, incarnated here in this evil dimension, so let's just leave it behind instead of taking it with us. (laughs) So, destroying the evil eye uh, destroys Balor, or and uh, or Balor and allows Strange to scatter his mystic bits all over the cosmos and they'll never reform. Don't worry about it. Uh, Percy and Val get friendly, which just sort of proves that their respective alter egos are actually in love. I guess you know it's like <laughs> Victoria's been taken over by Valkyrie and Dane's been taken over by Percy, but they both seem kind of into each other, which means that, you know, their love is beyond the power of various spiritual ent- entities currently possessing them. <laughs> right. Okay. It's, sure. It's, it's love Marvel style, Drew. I don't know what to tell you. All right. No, that's sure. Okay. Yeah. So the, uh, the group, uh, one, w- one larger now, uh, continues through the gateway or basically follows Morgan and Mordred, through to their final destination, they arrive at London Bridge. But Drew, not the London Bridge in London, the one that was demo- that was taken apart and then rebuilt brick brick by brick in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Woo! Right, that one. Yeah, it's finally time for Stranger by the Dozen to go on spring break. All right, to Lake Havasu, Arizona. Woo. Hey, Lake Havasu is a legitimate spring break location. They've held several uh, MTV spring break episodes at Lake Havasu. But... I have no doubt. <laughs> 
but also ready for spring break are Morgan and Mordred, who are there opening a gateway for tons of other various Celtic gods and spirits to come forth and wreak havoc on the people of the city. Oh, no! And with that cliffhanger, we go to the final Black Knight story, Black Knight 4, from September 1990. Night and day. Oh, that's bad. Ah, the wordplay. It controls you. (laughs) So, uh, Roy and Dan Thomas, writers, Rich Buckler, layout artist, Tony DeZuniga, embellisher, Bill Oakley, letterer, George Russo's colorist, Mark Grunwald, editor, Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. So, it's the big finale. The Black Knight, Valkyrie, Doctor Strange, and Sean Dolan all are up against a huge army of demons known as the Formore. While the odds look bad initially, the Doctor Strange's magic abilities enable them to get rid of most of the Formore, just have them be banished back to their own dimension and stuff. So things look like they're going to be wrapped up pretty quick. Unfortunately, Morgan Le Fay has a few more tricks up her sort of oversized, um, you know, lady robe medieval times uh, sleeves. Yeah, of course she does. Yeah, she summons a giant magical wicker man, which Uh, is made of fire. So that's how it got burned, Drew. That's right. (laughs) Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's a big fiery be like big fiery cage cage looking being. Uh, filled with like several dozen innocent, innocent Lake Havasu residents trapped inside. There's, I guess there's not Nicholas Cage and bees in there too. I mean, there's definitely no bees. I don't know what Nicholas Cage's spring break plans are in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, Doctor Strange tries to fight it, but there's no way for him to destroy it without killing everybody inside. The monster grabs the Black Knight's sword when he tries to sla- slash the monster and then drains some mystical power from it, then uses that power to blast Strange, Val, and Sean, and then absorb them into its body. So now everybody but the Black Knight basically is trapped inside the Wicker Man. From inside its fiery bars, they see that the Black, the Black Knight is being forced to make a vow to serve Morgan Le Fay to ensure that she doesn't kill his friends. So, with Percy sworn to Morgan's service, her evil castle sort of warps in, taking the place of London Bridge, and the whole town starts to morph into a medieval village, basically. As Sir Percy is forced to ride out at the head of Morgan's evil army, a vision of Victoria Bentley appears, begging him to find a way to fight back. Now, because he's a mystical entity from medieval Europe... um. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sir Percy literally can't break his word. His word is his bond in a metaphysical way that's difficult to, that you know, well, not difficult to explain, but it's just sort of what, you know, it is what it is, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but <laughs> Dane Whitman made no such vow. So oh, per- Percy doffs his magical helmet, putting Dane back in control. As this happens, a ghostly, a giant ghostly figure of Percy appears over Dane, and as Dane strikes the Wicker Man with his black blade, Percy's spirit enters the enters the blade of the enters like the the metal of the black blade, fusing the spirit of Percy and the sword itself. Now powered by both the spirit of Percy and the Wicker Man, 
Dane uses the super-powered Black Blade to slice open the castle of Morgan Le Fay, sending both it and the evil Eminem back to their dark dimension home. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I'm just trying to make these jokes here. Uh, so evil is vanquished. And with the sword now containing Percy's spirit, it'll both keep Dane from turning back into a statue and let Valinor res- uh, retain its sweet bat wings. Neat. Yeah, man, the Black Knight is back, and he's dating Victoria Bentley, and he's got this dude, Sean Dolan, for a squire. All right. Yeah, the sure. end. The end? Not on your life. Woo! Woo. Black Knight action. <laughs> And hey, that's it for the uh, comics this week, Drew. Pretty awesome, I thought. Yeah, no, You cool. know, I mean, I kind of like, I just kind of liked this uh, Black Knight story. He sort of appeared, he's appeared in the periphery of a bunch of Doctor Strange stuff. And I yeah. thought both letting him have a chance to take to center stage and especially Vic- Victoria Bentley take center stage, who so often sort of shows up and is sort of the damsel in distress while pining away for Doctor Strange. Just give, you know, I mean, I don't know. She's still sort of pining away for the Black Knight here, but she takes a little bit more of an active role than she has previously. And it's just kind of a chance for her to be a little more center stage than other characters and stuff like that. So I thought it was sort of an interesting, you know, side thing in our uh, work through the Doctor Strange stuff to take a look at. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get you. And totally worth it. Yeah, I th- that story was great. It was fun, and it has a bunch of like, you know, this is sort of like, I guess, Roy Thomas. Um, in like in Black Knight One, Roy Thomas has like an editorial where he kind of talks about um, how the Black Knight is an important character for him and his sort of writing and stuff. Now that he's back at Marvel, it was definitely one of his big goals to get the Black Knight sort of back on the time, but back in the Marvel timeline and as sort of an active character and stuff like that. So I think that's neat as well. Um. And yeah, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, if if you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook or Instagram at strangerbythedozen or on Twitter at strangerbythe12. That's strangerbythe12, as well as our podcast network site at cradaline.com. Uh, during the week, I'll try to post a bunch of images from these issues so you can sort of see what we're talking about with some of this stuff. There's some neat uh, images here, just like the uh, the big army of the Formore or um, like the overbuilt forearmed skeleton or uh, 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 plate mail skeleton that they fight at the beginning of the story. Um, you know, and just interesting representations of the Devil Causeway, as well as like Gene Colan stuff, which is always neat in a classic Marvel kind of way. Stranger by the Dozen is on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or any other podcatching app. Tune in next week as Doctor Strange meets a most unusual librarian, um, and then one, and then rematches with the impossibly powerful extra-dimensional being known as Zom. Mm. Also, the original Defenders, right again, Hulk, Strange, and Namor, and the war Wait. for. Co- oh yeah, you. Like- they were banned from doing so because of a, of a of a decree by the elves with guns. That's right, yeah. buddy. <laughs> we're gonna talk about it and right. the war for control of the dark dimension uh, restarts in earnest. The mindless ones take Manhattan on the next Stranger by the Dozen. Until then, faithful listener, I say, the old masters shunned mirrors, vampires of the light. They called them. Farewell, my friend. Though your mortal form was forfeit, at least your eternal soul is free and safe. 
and brightly shines where no mirror can steal its light. My name is Conrad, and for my co-host Drew, may the Vishanti guide your path.